This is Top Floor, episode 114. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 114. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show, Alexa West graduated from college with $200 and a one-way ticket to her Peace Corps job in Bulgaria. 13 years later, she is a best-selling travel writer, CEO of the Solo Girls Travel Guide book series, and a hotel reviewer with an absolute treasure trove of wisdom for women travelers. While Alexa's Solo Girls Travel Guide series tackles where to travel, her newest book, The One-Way Ticket Plan, tackles how to travel. This travel how-to is styled as your big sister's advice for traveling the world without going broke or getting kidnapped. But I can tell you from experience that this book is full of great ideas and suggestions for almost any kind of traveler, really any kind of traveler. Today, Alexa and I are going to talk about backpacking, house-sitting, and closing one chapter to open another. But before we do, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and randoms off the street who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Riley. Riley might be a pseudonym for me because I have this question too. (laughs) (laughs) I work for myself and everything is remote. So is there any reason why I shouldn't just put my place on Airbnb and go live abroad? What do you think, Alexa? If you are remote, consider yourself so lucky. So many people I know are trying to get remote jobs because the truth of the matter is you can just take your laptop go house sitting somewhere in the world and not have to pay crazy rent prices and go, you know, instead of having lunch from your fridge, you go have lunch on the street in Thailand or at a taco stand and on the beach in Mexico. No, go remote. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go remote. Okay. But do you need a visa or like permission from the country where you're going to be, or can you just do it? So it depends on the country. There are some countries that are digital nomad friendly. um, And by that, I mean, have visas that welcome digital nomads. So um, Portugal, for example, has a visa for digital nomads. Um, If you rent a place in Portugal, uh, I think it's for a year, and you can prove that you make a certain amount of money, which is it's not a a lot for Western um, standards, then you get a visa and you can stay as long as you want. You pay 15% tax, but you're also now a, a welcome citizen Portugal. However, there are some places um, like Bali, for example, can get a little tricky where you can't be making any money within the country, but as long as you are making money from outside the country, there's like a gray zone. 
So every country has a certain visa or a certain regulation. You can't just like rock up and and decide like oh, I'm going to stay here forever and work for my laptop. There are there are visas for each country. A good resource is CIBT visas, and you can check out which visas are right for you depending on the country. We will absolutely link that in the show notes. And just to clarify that, C is in cat, I, B is in boy, T is in Tom. Yep. Okay. Excellent. You began your world traveling ways after college graduation when you joined the Peace Corps. I this is a tough one for me because I admire the mission, but what on earth attracted you to what I think people know pretty well is an extremely humble life in the Peace Corps. And in this case, you were in Bulgaria. Like, why not get an internship, buy some shoes, kind of hang out for a while? You know, there's something really special about being young. And it's that you've always been poor. And so I was never hungry for like nice things. I was hungry for incredible experiences. Um, I really wanted to give back. You know, my, my heart was big. I wanted to do interesting things, helping people. But now that I'm 35 and I've done that, um, sometimes I actually think like, would I join the Peace Corps again? And I think the answer is yes, even at 35. But now that I've had, you know, jobs and I can afford a nice pair of shoes. Um, yeah, it's, it's not my first choice, but I think there's something beautiful for everyone, especially the young people, to go and, and live a little bit different. The simple life, the humble life, it's actually really nice. When you only need two pairs of shoes, it's really nice. Some of the other jobs that you've done while traveling the world include working at a hostel, bartending, and teaching English, which I know you did for several years. But the one I find the most fascinating is something you referred to a little earlier in our conversation, which is house sitting. Can you talk about how you became an international house sitting expert? Sure. A lot of the things that I ended up doing, I did kind of by accident. You know, when you when you take off to travel, you might have like one mission and I had a mission. I was going to go to Bolivia and do a language exchange and learn Spanish. And when that was over, I was like, you know, I, I was working as a digital nomad, is working for my laptop. Um, and I was like, I don't really want to go and pay rent. I want to keep traveling, but I don't want to keep backpacking. So an easy middle ground is to house sit. So I today I use a company called Trusted House Sitters, um, and it's this platform where homeowners will list their homes um, and then house sitters can also get a membership and then you can apply to stay in those homes. Um, so that is what I use now. But back in the day, uh, and something you can still do, is I would just post on Facebook groups and just say, hey, I'm coming through Costa Rica. I would find you know um, a certain town in Costa Rica and say, I'm coming through here uh, from this state to this state. Is anyone looking for a house sitter? Um, and I did that through Costa Rica, Mexico, all around Mexico and into Thailand. Um, and you essentially just take care of someone's home while they're gone. Um, and that gave me so much time because I wasn't paying rent. That gave me so much time to focus on my career. Um, instead of waking up and going to work a job to pay rent, I was walking dogs and coming back and working on my portfolio online or something like this. 
So house sitting is something that even today I still use when I need a little getaway. That is so genius. And Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that since I read your book, I have signed up for that website. So hopefully, yeah, I haven't tried to get any of the gigs yet, but I'm like just poking around and seeing what's available. I just think it sounds so fun. I think it's would be so it's sort of like the appeal of a short term rental where you're in a neighborhood Mm -hmm. versus in like a city center. I just that just sounds so interesting to me. You can do it all, actually. It depends where you look. You can get a city center, like in Spain, or you can get everything. You can get countryside, you can get suburbs, you can get everything. Wow. On house sitting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I will let you know if I end up doing it. How did you start writing? It sounds like house sitting was part of the way that you were able to transition. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always been a writer. My grandma would tell stories about, you know, trying to get me to school on time, but I like, I have to finish this story. I have this story to finish. <laughs> so I've always been a writer, but I, I never had the time or the luxury to make writing into a career because, you know, it doesn't just happen overnight unless you're like, you know, some gossip girl in New York city and get lucky. Um, so for me, I was teaching, I taught English for five years. And at the end of that five years, I was in Taiwan. I was feeling a little stiff and teaching and I decided, slash a bottle of wine decided to inspire <laughs> me to sign up for Upwork.com, which is a freelancing platform. Um, and me and that bottle of wine signed up for a portfolio. I applied for a writing gig. And the next day I had that writing gig. Um, and then I, I just slowly built my portfolio. Um, I took more freelance writing gigs after you know my teaching day was over or before my teaching day until my writing gigs were making more money than my teaching gig. So a lot of my travels, um, a lot of the ways that I've made money or, you know, supported myself in traveling kind of all happened like stepping stones, kind of just all gradually between each other. But it's, it was a dream of mine and I made it happen. I mean, granted, I did start writing um, like dog food articles and like, like doomsday <laughs> prepping website. So that wasn't my dream. But like I got there. I'm serious. Yeah. Oh my God. But you get there, you know, it's a it's a journey. Well, the journey has led to an amazing destination because I am a super fan of your book, truly. So the book is called The One-Way Ticket Plan. And I mean, I love this book so much. And I am not even your target audience. Like I could be your grandma. I am not your little sister. I I think there's something of value for almost anyone, women, men, you know, just starting out, very advanced in age, all that stuff. What were you trying to accomplish with the book? Well, it's funny that you say that you're not my target audience because I I do have kind of like a secret target audience that's in my heart. But really, this book is kind of for me at all ages of me. Like this is for, in my heart of hearts, I wrote this book for younger girls. I wrote this book for college girls or high school girls. Um, this is the book that I wish I had before I went to college or before I fell in love or before I started putting urgency on the idea of settling down, getting married and getting a job. If I had this book, I I would have known there are so many opportunities. There's so many dreams out there that we don't have to be 
rushed into these jobs that look good on paper. We can do whatever we want. So I am on a mission to get this book in the hands of as many younger girls as I possibly can. However, this book is also for women that are just looking for something different, whether you're looking for, you know, a month break from your job and you're like, I want to get out of here. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of money because there's definitely a difference between a vacation and travel. So I really touch on, on how to, how to do that, how to travel sustainably, but it's also for, you know, women who've just got divorced and they're like, you know, screw this. I'm going to, this life isn't working for me. I want to find something completely different. So whether you are looking to inspire the younger generation, whether you're looking to just switch it up for a month, even if you just need to get some inspiration and you decide to go volunteer in the Amazon for three months, there's pathways to do that. Or if you're like, screw it, I'm going to sell everything and move to Spain. You can do that too. So this book is really just for women who don't want to be caged to like this standard that really isn't working for us anymore. One of the things I love the most about your point of view is that you address safety for women, but not in a super patronizing or like pearl clutchy way that's (laughs) melodramatic. Like, How would you help a nervous traveler discern between real and imaginary dangers? I just hear Mm. these voices in the back of my head of like all these people who never go anywhere because they're terrified of the big city or they're afraid they're going to get robbed and all this stuff. And I'm like, y'all just calm down. (laughs) I have, there's a few layers to that. And it's funny that you touch on like, you know, people that, you know, don't leave their city because they're afraid of what's going to happen. Before I left for the Peace Corps, I had a friend call me and she's like a small town, hometown girl. And she was like, I had a message from God that you were going to die in Bulgaria. And like, literally though, on the phone, I was like, thank you for telling me that. Like, I'm really going to, I really was like, I'll take that into consideration, but you don't know what you don't know. So um, I always say like, don't let other people's fear dictate your life. Uh, a, A lot of times if someone's telling you not to do something, they are questioning their own capability, not yours. So step one, don't let anyone put that on you. Step two, I don't love the word fearless. I, I'm afraid of everything. I like am <laughs> the like most terrified traveler. People can't believe it. They're like, you are afraid of flying yet. That's your job. And it's like, yeah, um, you need your fear. Fear is good. Like you need to be walking down an alley in Bangkok and be like, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to turn around. You need your fear. Fear is fantastic, but you don't want to let it take over. So in the book, I give some resources. You can find cities. Um, and destinations that are statistically safer than where you are now. You can literally put yourself in a safer place. So I live in Seattle. It's, I mean, I love Seattle, but I wouldn't walk around here in the middle of the night by myself and go get a hot dog on a stick at 2 a.m. But I do that in South Korea. I do that in Thailand. I do that in parts of Mexico, believe it or not. People think Mexico is super dangerous. Just depends on the state. Um, but you can literally pick and choose based on safety. And that, that above all else, that should be so freeing to know that. It's a really good point. And it is freeing. Mm -hmm. I also just think people need to relax about every single place they go. Not just... I know. I'm kidding. I, uh, it just wears me out that 
you would live a small life because of something that isn't even real. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's terrifying mm-hmm. to me. Anyway, that's my fear. There is a Mark Twain quote that I love. And I think this is like this, you know, patron saint quote of travelers. He says, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Couldn't be more true. It is obvious to me reading your book that your travels have broadened your horizons beyond, I think, what you were brought up to expect. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if there are any negatives that you would call out to not having been rooted in place for the last decade. Well, now that I am, so I'm based in Seattle and I still travel. My boyfriend told me like, Lexi, you're no longer in the era of where everything you own fits in a backpack. And (laughs) for like, you know, 12 years, everything I owned fit in a backpack. But that was kind of beautiful. It was so beautiful. And again, this is like why I urge people to travel before you have a lot of things. Because now, like I own a lot of things. I bought a desk. I bought my first desk. And like, I'm like, I can't fit that in a backpack. So now that I'm here with like, you know, my closet, my jewelry, my makeup, um, traveling with uh, a little backpack for 10 years. Oh no, that, that's not true. Susan, this is a lie. I, I love having no, I love having not a lot of things when I, when I've got, when I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, cause I, I live here and I'll throw on a backpack and I'll go to Southeast Asia for two months with just a few things. And it's so freeing to just be able to pick your stuff up and and move around. But then there are times that I'm like, man, I miss my crock pot. Or like, I miss <laughs> like, having water from the fridge. So I, it's not a, a, a huge downside. It's just, it's just a trade-off. I just think life is, is so about balance. So some people might think that living out of a backpack is, you know, oh my God, like how can I just wear a few things, a few things over and over? But it's fun. It's really fun. In a recent survey, someone who I did not pay to say this said that Top Floor is a must-listen for hospitality people, insightful, funny, informative, with amazing guests. Someone else said, I listened to one and now I am becoming addicted. I also did not pay this person. And yet another person called the show an entertaining interview offering tricks, learnings, anecdotes, and heartwarming tales from hoteliers. No money changed hands for that one either. Here's my point. Somebody somewhere likes listening to Top Floor. And if you are not sharing the show with your friends and colleagues, you are really doing them dirty. I truly appreciate every minute you spend listening to Top Floor and would be really thankful if you would follow the show wherever you listen. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of really practical, tangible tips to try either in their businesses or their personal lives. If someone wants to follow in your travel footsteps, what destination do you recommend for a first long trip? So we're not talking about vacation. We're talking about being a traveler for months at a time. Where would you pick to go first and why? 
Southeast Asia, hands down. And still, it is like my go-to place. So Southeast Asia, specifically Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Bali, and Malaysia. Malaysia is pretty great as well. Um, start in Thailand. I always tell first-time travelers to start in Thailand. Um, it is a very, very safe country. Um, and there is a travel trail. So by that, I mean, you know, you can be in Bangkok and you're going to stay in a hostel or a guest house and you're going to meet other travelers and they're going to say, hey, have you been to this place in Chiang Mai um, or up in the north or on these islands in the south? And there's kind of these trails that everyone is is going on um, and it makes it very approachable, very safe. Transportation, uh, there's I mean, tourism is such a huge part of Thailand. So transportation has essentially in part in some ways been made for tourists to get from point A to point B. So it's really easy to move around, a lot of signs in English. Um, but the other beautiful thing about Thailand is that it's easy to get off the beaten path and get into real Thai culture. Um, and it's so fun to go into areas where there's usually not tourists and where people don't speak a lot of English because people are so friendly. They call Thailand the land of smiles. And it's so friendly. It's so affordable as well. Um, yeah, hands down. Start in Thailand, move to Cambodia, go to Vietnam, go over to Bali. This was my first circuit that I did solo, and I do it all the time. I lived there for 10 years, and I, I encourage people to go Southeast Asia. It is definitely on my list, honestly, thanks to you, because I felt like it was pretty intimidating a destination to think about. But I, I mean, God, these people are going to think you're paying me for this. But I swear to God, reading this book, I was like, Oh, I could totally do that. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that book one more time. Uh, you talk about getting medical and cosmetic procedures done in other countries. I'm super intrigued by that, but also a little bit scared about it. Can you talk about how to, I don't know, feel confident and safe? Or is it just like a matter of research? Well... Let me first say that I am not driving across the border into Tijuana to get a tummy tuck. Like that's crazy. <laughs> you know, don't, don't do that stuff. Uh -huh. There are, but there are, you know, the, the U S is not by any means the most elite in beauty industry or in the medical industry. Sure. We do have some subsects that are absolutely, you know, we're killing it. Um, but around the world, you can find incredible, Incredible medical care um, at prices that you can afford. So, for example, I was on my parents' um, insurance when I was younger and here in the States, and I got an IUD place, so a birth control place, and it was $900 with insurance. It was the most painful experience of my life. Um, I will spare you the details. But then, you know, a few years, a few years later, I went to Bangkok. No insurance. And I made an appointment at this hospital, this beautiful English speaking hospital. They sent a, an air conditioned van with like, you know, cold waters and whatever to come pick me up from my apartment. They took me to the hospital. I had a concierge come and meet me. She walked me through the whole procedure. She even held my hand during the procedure. Oh, the wow. doctor, the doctor was this incredible, like world-class gynecologist. She did all these procedures beforehand that made it so that this placement was so easy, pain free, a little pinchy, but pain free. And all of that cost me $300. So 
you can't, and you'll hear about this. You'll hear about people that are like, you know, I need a hip replacement in the States. It's going to cost $5,000. Or I could fly to Spain. It's going to cost, you know, $1,500. Um, plus, I'm going to get a vacation and I'm going to come home and I'm going to have spent less. So there are extremely well-established medical industries um, around the world and beauty. I'm such a beauty tourist. I don't know if you've heard this, but I fly once or twice a year to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico to get my hair done. And are you kidding? Cleaned. No, I get my hair done. I got my, I've got my guy. I get my teeth cleaned. I get massages every day. I get my Botox. Um, I, I get everything. I get waxed. I do everything. I just fly to, to Puerto Vallarta. It is just, it's gorgeous. First of all, it's a vacation and it's things that I couldn't afford here in the States. Like I, a weekend of that here in the States would bankrupt me. But I can go to Mexico, support the tourism industry, um, and treat myself and, you know, not really spend a lot. So I love beauty tourism and medical tourism. The States needs to get itself together, okay? Because I can't afford it here. <laughs> <laughs> Who can? No one can. I know. I know. All right. You've probably been asked this question a million times, but I still want to know. Do you have any unexpected gadgets or other supplies that you always pack that people might be surprised to hear about or, or might want to replicate? No one's asked me this question. And I'm like so excited that you're asking me this question. Oh, good. Um, there's this little gadget and I talk about it in my book so many times and I swear I'm not paid and they don't even know that I talk about them <laughs> a lot. I should probably tell them. But there's this little gadget. I have it. It's called... Oh, I almost, I almost pulled it. It's called a She's Birdie Alarm. And it's this alarm that when you yank it apart, just yank it from top to bottom, it has a flashing light and it sounds this like ear piercing alarm. And I carry that with me when I'm traveling. And even in situations, I was in this um, really strange homestay in Thailand, um, in the countryside. And I was like, I'm going to go way outside the city and stay at this place. And it just was uncomfortable but I, I slept with this alarm in my hand under my pillow and I felt so much more prepared. If someone was, was going to try and come in my room, A, that would startle them, it would slow them down and B, it would alert everyone in the neighborhood that something's going on. So the alarm doesn't stop until you put it back together. So you just yank it, throw it and you have this an instant, you know, help me, you know, I need attention or get the hell away from me alarm. So it's this little thing. It's super easy. It's like really lightweight. And I carry that with me everywhere. Even oh, in the I'm States. I'm so like, glad to learn about that. And I'm going to buy it for all of my girlfriends too. Yeah. So we have reached the fortune telling portion of the show. Now is when you're going to predict the future. And then I'll call you in a year and see if you got it right. <gasps> okay. What is, <laughs> what is a prediction you have about the future of solo travel for women? Well, if I succeed in my mission, um, my mission is to make sure that I, I want to normalize the concept of a gap year. Um, and the gap year is something that, you know, kids in the UK and Australia do very often. And it's taking a break between high school and college, or even, you know, maybe you are definitely going to college in the fall. Um, and it's taking that mandatory travel, right? When you graduate to go and see the world before you start climbing a ladder. So if I succeed, the future of solo female travel is that 
gap year and traveling before these big decisions and commitments is going to become the norm. It's going to become one of those things that your parents are like, have you climbed Machu Picchu yet? You know, you're not ready to go to law school. Have you <laughs> Southeast Asia? You cannot get married to this guy. It's going to be one of these things of like, have you lived yet? Then, then why are you rushing it? So that's my mission is gap years for, for younger girls. I hope you succeed. You've done a lot of these. So I have to ask if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about long haul flights, what would it be? Can I take two things? Of course. One, that your hangovers don't exist. I just love to drink myself away <laughs> on a plane. And maybe maybe I could keep drinking and not get drunk because to this day, I've successfully successfully never been like, wild on a plane, but I love to have plane beers. It's like my favorite place to drink a beer. So no hangovers on a plane Two that every seat is first class, but like it doesn't raise the prices of the flights. I just want more <laughs> space. I want to be able to lay down. There's nothing worse than like a really cramped, you know, 12 hour flight where you can't lay down. 100% agree. What is next for you and what's next for your company? Mm. So this is coming to a surprise as a surprise to my friends because um, I've been the solo girls travel guide forever. You know, like I've been doing solo travel for so long, but now, you know, writing the one-way ticket plan really felt like the end of a chapter. It felt like the end of an era. Um, I am no longer just, you know, with a backpack. Like I, I have a desk now. I have, <laughs> I have things now. A crock um, pot even. <laughs> I have a crock pot. I've always wanted one of those. Um, so my travels are changing. I'm really exploring the States a lot. I'm really falling in love with the Pacific Northwest where I'm at. Um, and the thing that shocks everyone is I kind of in line with my mission of raising a generation or generations to travel me and my business partner, Emmy, um, she's an amazing artist. We are creating travel guides for kids. So travel guidebook series for kids, but in a, in a really cool way. Um, do we have time for a short story? Of how this... course. Okay. So I was, this is kind of the inspiration for this. I was on a bus in Cambodia. It was a four hour bus. And in front of me was a British couple. And the seat to the right of them were their two kids. And their kids were probably fifth grade and third grade. And the kids were fascinated by everything they're seeing outside the window. They're like, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And at the same time, they were obsessed with this deck of cards they had in their hand. And it was this cards of like these like Lamborghini and Ferrari things. And I was mm -hmm. thinking how amazing would be is if they had in their hands instead, the book that matched what they're seeing outside the window. So we want to create these books that are, you know, preparing kids for their travels. So like, you know, what to expect. So get them really excited to try and find that cow because Cows in Cambodia are really special. Mm -hmm. They're like these white, pretty cows. You know, find that cow they've never seen or learn about, you know, how people dress or learn about the culture, but make it fun so that they're excited to go. And when they are going, they have the book. So this this helps the whole family prepare, but it helps the kids with this dreamy wanderlust. And even if they never go to Cambodia, they might clutch that book and think, you know, when I graduate from, you know, when I'm a big kid, I'm going to go here. So I really want to start helping kids dream in a really easy, fun way and also help parents inspire their kids to dream. I am so excited about yeah. this and I cannot wait to see 
what y'all produce. Oh, what a great idea. That sounds like so much fun. Okay, folks, before we tell Alexa goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Alexa, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock? Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Hopefully no one gets mad at me for this. But one of my favorite travel memories um, is the night I was in Thailand and I was traveling with one of my best friends from home here, actually. We were in bed. We were watching like Married at First Sight or something like this. And we were like, let's go to the store and get a Snickers and a beer. So we go in our pajamas. We go to this little corner store. We get a Snickers and a beer. And then some girl walks up to us and goes, hey, where'd you get that beer? She was Canadian. And this turned into her inviting me and my friend to get into the back of a truck with her other Canadian friends what? in our pajamas. And we, the driver comes back and he, to the back of the truck and he says, don't tell anyone about this. I'm like, what is happening? And this girl's like, we're going to a party. And we're like, okay, we're just probably going to go around the corner to a party. No, 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 no. We went vertically up a mountain and down a mountain, uh, like holding on for dear life. And we come out onto this party on the rocks where it was a rave. And this is how me and my friend ended up doing ecstasy for the first time in our lives. We're like, shit, we're going to be here till 4 a.m. Like, we might as well. We Like, our Snickers is gone. We might as well. Um, <laughs> that was like, that was, yeah, that was like uh, the first time I've done something super wild. And these stories are hard for me because when I have a daughter, I am going to be so nervous for her. But it's also kind of just like a rite of passage. You know, it's like, go do things that you wouldn't do at home. But like, you know, just don't tell me about it type of thing, you know? Totally. There's something about the problem solving skills that you build when you are getting in trouble that are is invaluable. People have to get in trouble and do the wrong thing in order to come out on the other side. Absolutely. If you if you just live your life in a little box, you're never gonna learn how to solve anything for yourself. Hundred percent true. Alexa West, thank you so much for being here. I love, 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 love your book. And I really appreciate you writing up to the top floor. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. I loved it. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 114. Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all-around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 